The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which usually means we're picking out some of the best work available on the Athletic right now. But this week, it's something a little bit different. You know, within a, a month, United win the treble. I mean, it was grim. It was grim. It felt a long, long way back. I mean, I would back City and Liverpool to get the next appointment right more than I would Man United. That game in Shirim is the best I've ever seen. And I grew up in a, an era where Liverpool won everything and I dreamed of seeing Manchester United win just one league title. So. Beckham into Sheringham and Solskjaer has won it! Yes, this week we'll be eavesdropping on a conversation between three of the Athletics' finest talking Manchester United, Liverpool and Manchester City as United's two great rivals have their sights on Fergie's unique 1999 treble-winning season. Yeah, Flo, I suggest we just sit back, relax and drop in on Man United fan Andy Mitten reflecting on Sunday's derby defeat alongside City fan Jack Pitbrook and Liverpool supporter Simon Hughes. play that badly in the first half but look at the result Manchester City 4 Manchester United 1 for the second derby this season Manchester City completely outclassed Manchester United and I wasn't surprised I was nervous before the game yesterday more so when I saw that there were fitness tests on some of the key players and I knew that City's scoreline at Old Trafford earlier in the year could have been far more damning and similar to the one which Liverpool inflicted on Manchester United so it's not a good time for Manchester United fans at the moment I think the gap's 22 points between United and City this in a season when Manchester United were expected to put a first title challenge in since 2013 it hasn't happened it hasn't come close to happening do you feel like they've improved at all under Ragnick? Are you feeling good about Ragnick? Not especially. He's done okay. He's had a pretty forgiving fixture list. The football's not been good. Manchester United have struggled to score goals. As a journalist, I find him quite impressive in his media dealings, but he'll always be judged by results over everything. I think Ralph Ragnick has struggled to get across what he his vision of how the team should play. I think we saw it most clearly in his very first game for the first 29 minutes against Crystal Palace and then he had to revert to type because the players were struggling to be sold on on his ideas. So Manchester United have got so many top-class players in theory, but the reality is they are so short of their, their collective. And when I look at Liverpool and Manchester City, I see two teams there at the, at the peak of their power. And Manchester United have had decent results uh, against both. But even going back a, a year to when United knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup or had some good results against City away, it, that seems so long ago now. How are you feeling about Manchester City, Jack? And how are you feeling about Liverpool, Simon? Well, I thought, I mean, I thought City were really good yesterday. Um, I remember I was at the the game in November at Old Trafford when City won 2-0 and I thought afterwards this has got to be the most one. The one it was one of the most one-sided games I've ever seen 
Like it was genuinely quite embarrassing to watch because City, it was as if City were playing, you know, a championship team in the FA Cup third round where they do the absolute minimum to win the game and then keep the ball after that. And yeah, I did think United were pretty good in the first half yesterday. They, they caused City some problems. And this, this, the second half was a joke. The second half, was, the second half yesterday was like the second half of the game at Old Trafford in in November. Um, like City have just got such a kind of mastery of how they play at the moment, and you know, you know, teams can beat them as Tottenham showed the other week. But uh, yeah, City were just so much better than United yesterday. In terms of in terms of how I'm feeling about City's season, well, I think it'll be pretty tight at the top. Um, I think you know, I think Liverpool look at least as good at City at the moment. City are you're just about ahead of them in terms of points, so. I don't know how you'd call it percentage-wise. You'd probably make City narrow favourites to do it. And then in Europe, you never know, because City clearly, I think, have a bit of a mental block in the Champions League. Uh, I think a lot of that stems from Guardiola himself, um, who, you know, every year they get a step closer and then it, it all goes wrong at the end. So, I don't know. I mean, it's very difficult to make predictions. It, I mean, Simon might agree with me about this, but it does remind me a lot of 2018-19, when City and Liverpool were just so much better than everyone else. And you'd imagine that, you know, one of them will win the Premier League, maybe another one will win the Champions League, but it's, it's still only the 7th of March. It's probably a little bit too early to call either of them. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I mean, I, I thought 2018, 19, I thought the levels of both teams were higher than they are now. But I think that the, the gap between the two teams and, and the, the rest is as big, if not bigger, than it was then. Um, I mean, Liverpool have had a tough week. Obviously, the, the the League Cup final went to extra time and penalties, and then they had the FA Cup game, which was using a totally different team, and then West Ham, who've already beaten them this season. And although I think people going to Anfield on Saturday were probably expecting Liverpool to beat West Ham, uh, it wasn't a given because they haven't lost to them this season. And you know there were quite a lot of things that happened in that game uh, at West Ham, which I, I you know from what I've been told that you know that they worked on it was it wasn't by luck. You know West Ham. We're a good team. I, I think now, you know, you, you look at it, reminds me a lot of, of sort of David Moyes' Everton, really, how organised they are. Um, so it was a good win for Liverpool, but they didn't perform uh, as aggressively or in, in the way that you sort of expect them to sometimes at home, which I, th- I think a few people were a bit down after, no, a, bit, a bit down on the performance afterwards, but I, I just thought it was a really important win, which will be forgotten about you know, months from now, if, if Liverpool are still in the title race come May. So, yeah, for me, I mean, I, I watched the, the Manchester derby yesterday and I agree with sort of what you both said, really, but it, it was what I expected, to be honest. I mean, United are so far away from where they were when I was growing up watching them. City, you know, on any given day can just pop a team off the park and make it really, really uncomfortable to watch. I thought the last 15, 20 minutes was was bit cringeworthy to be honest watching United being dominated like that I mean I know so much uh, analysis has been made the last 24 hours since Roy Keane spoke after the game but I can understand what he's saying to a large extent I mean City if he wanted to I think could have scored a few more goals there you know I'm sure Andy's got more views on where where they should go from here but it just seems at every level of the club whether it's on the pitch off the pitch for me that there's a lot going wrong in fact I'd argue that they're doing well to be where they are in the league to be honest given everything that's going on certainly did well to finish second last season and any semblance of Solskjaer improving and I think he did he did a good job 
uh, up until the end when I just don't think managers get when when results start going against you when you go beyond sort of six bad results you're on a hide into nothing especially with the demands of fans especially on social media there's like a if Manchester United have the audacity not to win a match um, there's there's outrage which doesn't reflect the reality now there's justified outrage at the moment because the team have been so bad they just lost to Manchester derby but I can remember going back to 12-13 when Manchester United won the league and didn't win a game at Swansea. Like, how dare this happen? This is not what we've signed up for. We're supposed to win everything. And it's against that backdrop that um, Manchester United are a huge club, so expectations are, are really high. It's not un unreasonable for them to be high, but they're so far off, as you say, where Liverpool are, where City are. I just have... Uh, some hope that football runs in cycles. Manchester United had one hell of a cycle. Liverpool have, uh, uh, and City at the moment have obviously got exceptional managers. I think the the timing to get both of them worked in both of the favours. I'd interviewed Ed Woodward in 13 and he described Jurgen Klopp as a genius. By the time Klopp was maybe available, it wasn't a good time for Manchester United. And with City, I think you see examples of... Um, real forward planning so when uh, Manuel Pellegrini took the Manchester City job he took it having been told explicitly that he wasn't the first choice and that their plan was to bring in uh, Joseph Guardiola which they they ended up doing so you can see City thinking ahead far more than United who I think have been very reactionary in in the, re the club's recruitment spent a lot of money far more than Liverpool have spent and obviously have a wage bill to match that and there's just a lack of joined up thinking it's a very there's lots of shifting plates of power at the club there's been lots of changes we all know that Solskjaer got sacked but even below that the coaches have gone the head of communications is going so it's a, it's a pretty troubled club can, can I, do, it's, I think each club to some degree faces the same challenge in two to three years time obviously Klopp spoke um, on Friday about his commitment to, to, to leave in Liverpool in 2024. Um, obviously, Guardiola, I think, when, when does his contract run to, Jack? Uh, the end of next season. The end of next season, right. So, you know, around the same time period, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with United when they're going to be looking for the next manager. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, you just mentioned the management. I, I think for me, when I, when I see United and I, I, I read about them and speak to people who obviously have connections there, it seems to me that the, the problems aren't just with the management, but I think a manager can can obviously help things and, and, and stimulate things and force change, which is what Jurgen Klopp has, has done at Liverpool. But the issue is uh, I don't see who the outstanding candidates are for each of those clubs at any given time in terms of what they need, you know, in terms of who succeeds Guardiola. Maybe City have got a broader um, base of managers to look at, perhaps. I, I, if somebody was to ask me now who's the ideal person to, to succeed Jurgen Klopp and continue what Liverpool have got, I, I wouldn't be able to give you a very clear and, and confident answer. Uh, so I think that, that could give United a bit of hope that there's a little bit of uncertainty. I mean, Julian Nagelsmann seems to be the, 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 the you know the manager that everybody speaks about at the moment. He's obviously doing brilliantly at Bayern Munich, and he might be available in a few years' time. But there's not not three of those sort of managers who who you would 
you know, immediately gravitate towards and say, well, yeah, he should be the manager of our club in the next couple of years. My sense is that obviously Guardiola and Klopp have done amazingly at City and Liverpool, but they've done so well, as you both have said, because they've been building, you know, because appointing them was kind of the last piece of the jigsaw from lots of, you know, from a club that has been really well run and a club that worked very hard to bring in a top manager who has then been backed and given a structure to succeed in. And at United, clearly that kind of structure doesn't exist and that's why they've jumped around different managers, some of whom, you know, have have been good managers or good were good managers in the past and it hasn't quite worked out. But for that reason, I just kind of, I would back City and Liverpool to get the next appointment right more than I would Man United, simply because at United there's, you know, there's such big question marks about the people who are actually making the, the decisions. And even if United got Pochettino this summer, who they've kind of considered appointing on and off over the course of the last like six or seven years, and like you know, I'm a huge fan of Pochettino. I think he's brilliant. I think he would be brilliant at United. But if he went into United, it would just be a much harder job for him to do than if he replaced Klopp or Guardiola, because I just I don't really back the structure. I don't really back the strategy. I think he would find it very difficult to turn the whole ship around. I'd agree with that. When I look at Guardiola and Klopp, I see intense, driven, slightly uh, eccentric. Mad in, mad in a, in a complimentary way, yeah. and I, I think that Manchester United, when they interview the managers, they don't want that that type of genius. Uh, they they feel stung by what happened with um, Jose Mourinho, with Louis Van Gaal, so they end up going to the nice guy who interviews well, and that's why. Ralph Rangnick gets a job over Ernesto Valverde, for example, who won the league with Barcelona and is, is an exceptionally good manager. So I share your doubts about the people making the decisions at Manchester United. I think that Darren Fletcher is a very talented, intelligent football person, but you've had too many learners on the job in key positions at Manchester United and so many signings have been reactionary, um, tinged with sort of commercial interests as well. I was pleased that Ronaldo came back. I'm not convinced it's been a good signing at all. And, and from what I've heard subsequently is the coaching staff had no idea that he was coming back. So you, you sense that a call's gone in at the last minute. Would you like him? Would you like this very tasty, sweet tweet now? Oh, yes, please. And the club look at the commercial aspect of it and think, yep, he's going to sell loads of shirts and going to get a billion, zillion hits around the world. But that doesn't necessarily equate to winning football matches and that's not what Manchester United have done traditionally well some of the best teams had players and I know Liverpool were, were like this as well who weren't necessarily stars Steve Iroh was a great player for Liverpool I saw Graeme Sooners singing his praises and Manchester United had lads like Darren Fletcher and, and John O'Shea and they've just become like a Galacticos bringing in these names giving all the transfer junkies a, a rush of a signing but it, it's not, um, they're not building a stable house at all. And that's why you're seeing the, the team getting where they are. They've had a cultural reboot, which didn't hit the, the heights which were expected. Is that impossible given how good City and Liverpool are at the moment? I, th- I think um, th- one of the conversations going on among sort of the Liverpool fan base at the moment, certainly online, is is this question, you know, to what extent is it is it clock? that's delivered the success against the FSG strategy, which which Jack mentioned. I mean, it does get forgotten that, that there were some 
doubts about Jurgen Klopp before he became the Liverpool manager. You know, the similar to what Andy was saying there about you know it was there was a there was some influence suggesting that you know that he was he was too hot to handle really you know as, as a character. And it was only when he really sat down with him and realised that his thoughts about the way a football club should be run in terms of the structure aligned exactly with what they thought. And then, you know, very quickly, you know, the, 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 he just blew them away, really. And to some extent, I think FSG were, were, were hoping that they get that, that manager who could go and lead the club and, 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 and be that front man that they don't want to be and can't really be, you know. So it will be interesting to see what, they do next when he does go. Whether that you know, Klopp was saying on on Friday that there's, you know, that, that so much has been put in place behind the scenes at the club. You know, training grounds, you know, certain practices off the pitch, whether it's you know medicine or you know various other things. Um, but you know, ultimately the manager, the manager is still important. You know, the cult of the the cult of the manager is still important, and I don't think Liverpool get to where they are without the force of personality of Jürgen Klopp. So, you know, what do they do next? Who, who do they go for? I mean, I always liked, I, I like Pochettino as well. When he was at Tottenham, that Tottenham, whenever they came to Anfield over the last sort of seven or eight years, consistently gave the most exciting and decent performance. Didn't win very often, I suppose that's the only thing, but obviously Steven Gerrard will be mentioned. Nagelsmann, I'm sure, will be in the conversation even Pep Linders, you know, as, as the sort of right-hand man of Klopp at the moment, I'm sure he'd be interested in it. Whether that job will come too soon, we'll see. But it will be interesting to see from a Liverpool perspective just how, you know, whether, whether the club has been built to last, really, or whether whether it is built around the, the cult of, of Jürgen Klopp. I was speaking to a um, very well-respected coach in football the other day about, about exactly this. Like, how do you replace a great manager whether it's Klopp or Pep or whatever. And he was saying, well, you should try and get continuity of playing style so that the players don't have to relearn a new way of playing every time. So, you know, with Klopp, you would expect... Ideally, he would be replaced by somebody with similar ideas in terms of pressing and counter-attacking, etc. But the, what he said was the one thing you can't do is you can't guarantee continuity of the other, of the other side. You know, man management or a presence, his relationships with players, that kind of thing, because that sort of thing is so distinct to each manager. So I wonder whether, with that in mind, whether Liverpool will be faced with, do we want to kind of keep it as in-house as possible with a kind of Pep Linders type appointment where you've got continuity of playing style but a very different character? Or do you maybe go in the other direction and go for somebody who is, you know, a big figure like Gerard, but might have very different ideas about how to play the game, Simon? So... Do you know what I mean? Like it's 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 really really difficult. And Andy will, will know this from when Fergie left. Like it, replacing someone that big is really hard because they leave. You know, you can't really replace them. I think if Steven Gerrard's going into that process off the back of a good eighteen months to to a few years at Villa, if he's lift, lifted their status from where they are now and where they were when he took over, it's going to be difficult to ignore his his credentials. I think. Um, I mean. It, I've been quite impressed with his work at Villa so far. I thought when he came to Anfield, the way Villa played, it reminded me a lot of performances of Liverpool under Julian and Benitez. You know, in Europe, they, they nearly got away with it. You know, I thought it was quite impressed with the way he set the team up defensively. I know they've had a, a difficult difficult month of results, but they've obviously had a great, great couple of results in the last couple of games. So, again, you've got to look at the bigger picture. And I, I think he's, he certainly should be in the mix. I mean, that... 
Maybe maybe I've just been loading too much by the um, the documentary on Amazon, but I've been enjoying the Simeone documentary. I, I think his intensity and the way he thinks about football, I think people in Liverpool would like that, particularly inside the ground. I understand the style of the football is slightly is slightly different, but this idea that Liverpool fans want to see free flow and attacking football all the time, match going fans just they just want to see winning football basically and aggressive football. I think he he would be perfect, to be honest, if he could prize him away from Atletico Madrid. It was quite interesting to hear him saying that he's learning English, which I thought was quite pointed. I don't think that goes in the documentary without without a re, you know without there being a reason. Um, I always thought it quite hard to get him away from from Atletico Madrid, where you know for me he's done the same job that Klopp and Guardiola did at Barcelona and. You know, he, he's an absolute symbol of that club, but I, I just love his intensity and, and and think that as much as he's sort of coming to Anfield and and stunk the place out a couple of times with the way he acts, I think if he was doing that for Liverpool, I think people would 100% back him all the way. But I'm sure other clubs will be thinking along the same lines as well. You know, Chelsea, City, maybe, who knows? You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. After the break, we're transported back to 1999. Do stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. It's just been so fast. It's been one of those frenetic derbies. And City are in front. Kevin De Bruyne. He's 50. Jordan Henderson trying one round the corner. That is absolutely beautiful from Henderson. And it's Mo Salah again. It's absolutely ridiculous from this Liverpool number 11 at the moment. I'd love to take us back to 1999 <laughs> because the, the current conversation is quite depressing for me. And just to rub it in, you mentioned Diego Simeone, who did a number on Manchester United a couple of weeks ago. And I'm very nervous about about him at Old Trafford next week. I say he did a number, the game ended one all. So there is always hope. 99, I feel like um, how I felt Liverpool fans felt when Manchester United were winning everything. And I got some of the, the numbers on how well Liverpool books were selling at the time. And it was much better than Manchester United books. And it was like, you find solace in history. And I can see elements of that now with... Um, with Manchester United and that can be a hindrance as well because you have all these former players who were greats offering their opinions and people saying we could do with him now we could do with you now part of the problem is that the players actually believe it when fans tell them that and I'm not convinced that some of them are the right people to be coming back in to Manchester United now but 99 forever will be known as um, the year by Manchester United fans that, that the treble was one. It's the, the greatest moment for most Manchester United fans. 
there will be some debate as to whether it was the greatest team they've seen. The 94 team was exceptionally popular, hindered in Europe by the, the free foreigner rule, but to win the treble in the way that it, it was done, one of the most memorable quotes I had about it was from a Liverpool fan and author, Kevin Sampson, who told me a few months after that that he was having a perfectly nice 26 of May 1999 listening to Radio 1 who'd set up on La Rambla and listening to all these Manchester United fans who, in his opinion, he had quite a low opinion of, making fools of themselves on, on Radio 1. Everything was going to plan. Bayern Munich were dominating the game until an evil Norwegian who used to support Liverpool put his extending toe into action. And the rest is history for Manchester United. It was it, it was absolutely brilliant. And the team didn't play well. They didn't even deserve to win that game. But the semi-final against Juventus away is the best Manchester United performance I've ever seen. That would be my high point as a Manchester United fan. Yeah. Not, not, not the final. You can't help how you feel. Yeah. And at half-time in Turin, I felt that the team I'd grown up supporting who played very close to where I, I grew up, were about to play in a European Cup final. And that excited me so much. And they'd gone to Turin and were out playing. They weren't yet through the best team in the world with Deschamps, with Zidane, with Davids, with all of those fantastic players. And they've been so good at Old Trafford in the first leg. And I've never felt excitement like that. And everyone says it was lifting the trophy in Barcelona. And, and, and I understand that. I my, my view is a minority one, but that game in Shirim is the best I've ever seen. And I grew up in a, an era where Liverpool won everything and I dreamed of seeing Manchester United win just one league title. So I've been spoiled by, by the success that the, the, the team have given me. But the treble was the high point of that. I'm not sure what your recollections are of it. Uh, I'm sure they won't be as favourable as mine. Well, I, I remember I was at Anfield the night when Paul Ince equalised in the last, was it injury time, was it? Yeah. Last last couple of minutes. And I mean, the celebrations inside Anfield were incredible that night. When, when I say incredible, incredible because Liverpool were nowhere. You know, it was like Liverpool was so far away from United at that point. I think they finished seventh in the league that season. Um Real transitional period for Liverpool with Julio coming in, and they, they were just about to lose Stephen McManaman to Real Madrid, so it was going to get the task even harder. You know, within a, a month, United win the treble. I mean, it was grim. It was grim. It felt a long, long way back. I mean, I, I often think about the nineties and 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 how that sort of applies to now, really, in terms of the length of time. And when I think about that nine years, you know, between the last league title in 90 to 99, that's where United are now, isn't it? You know, when you think about it, 2013 to, to 2022. I'd imagine for you, it probably feels quite similar now, although maybe for different reasons. I think people try and make comparisons between Liverpool and United all the time, saying, well, you know, United are like Liverpool were in the 90s, you know, can't quite get over the line. I, I don't quite see it. In the same way, I mean, when I look at United now, it seems like the dressing room's totally, you know, totally factionalised, really. Um, that was never the case at Liverpool. It was like it was almost like they were having too much of a good time, I think. And you know, these get quite close in that period. You know, in that in that in, well, when I say get quite close, they, they they got to within a month 
of, of potentially maybe winning the title in the 90s, which United haven't really done, have they, have they since? So, um, I mean, there's a lot to be written about it. Maybe maybe, maybe when Liverpool and United play each other in a few weeks' time, we'll end up writing about it again. But, um, yeah, I, I actually went to, the, unfortunately, went to the FA Cup final in 99 as well. Uh, my dad um, managed to acquire some tickets through some friends. And obviously Liverpool had played in 96. It was, it was one of the last finals at Wembley. So I just thought, well, we might as well go. You know what I mean? I, I do regret going, actually. It was an absolutely... Really, really crap day. So, uh, I, I could have lived without going to to Wembley for one final time. As as for that FA Cup nineteen ninety nine final, as a slight aside, I remember thinking Newcastle United are a huge football club who win absolutely nothing, and their support uh, struck me so many times since with that treble team. I spoke to David James, who played for Liverpool, who said he didn't like Manchester United because he knew they were so good. He, they, they were so dedicated. They they just had a the the cliche is that they never gave up, and it and it was true. Ferguson definitely created something, and the stars aligned. Arsenal pushed Manchester United so hard, just as Chelsea did in two thousand and eight. I think if they hadn't done that, Manchester United wouldn't have got to the level that they got to. Your point about not seeing Manchester United being able to turn it round, I agree with you. From where we are now, I cannot see any light at the end of the tunnel. But in in May 2015, I, I sat down with Jamie Carragher and he said, I cannot see any light. I cannot see Liverpool winning the league in the next five or six years. And, and they did. So it just shows how quickly football can implode on itself. When, and you touched on it with how important is Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool or Pep Guardiola at Manchester City? They're clearly exceptionally important, as Ferguson was with Manchester United, but it can change so quickly for a number of reasons. It can be financial, it can be a couple of key players moving. I'm just clinging to that hope at the moment that it comes back round in Manchester United's favour at some point. Obviously, 98-99 was a very different season for Manchester City, who were struggling to get out of what is now League One. Uh, beat Gillingham on penalties in the final of the playoffs, having been 2-0 down after 90 minutes and then scoring twice in added time. Um, it's kind of amazing then. Like Nobody would then have imagined that um, you know City would be consistently better than United from sort of from a period starting, what, in about 2012, 2013, really? Uh, so only about... Th- only what 13 14 years after that that playoff win and obviously like we all know why that is it's because city got bought by abu dhabi in 2008 uh while united you know for separate reasons have gone through their own period of decline so i don't really know what the i mean there's not really a lesson from that is there the lesson is if you support a team which is struggling in the lower leagues all you need to do is get bought by a country with a lot of money (laughs) and uh and then you know you might be winning multiple premier league titles 15 years later I actually think I think United winning I think United winning the treble in 1999 is a much bigger achievement than if City or Liverpool won it now simply because 
it's just, it was harder then. Like United wouldn't like if you look at the league tables, like United's points total, even when they were brilliant under Ferguson, they weren't getting up into the nineties. They weren't hitting towards a hundred points. Like statistically, they were closer to their rivals than City or Liverpool are now. Like the, because of how football's changed, City, City and Liverpool are so much better than the other teams in the Premier League, and they've got so much more behind them in terms of uh, like sports science and physical preparation and, and everything else. Like, and if City or Liverpool did it now, it would be a big achievement. So to go back to United, so to go back to 98-99, where there was much less stratification involved, I think it just means that there was a much higher degree of difficulty for for United to do it. And while like anyone who doesn't support United, sometimes you can roll your eyes a little bit when United fans talk about the 98-99 treble season over and over again, Andy. But it seems to me like the further away we get from it down the line, it does actually grow in stature as an incredible footballing achievement, which even if it is Matt, even if it's repeated, which I think is unlikely, it won't be kind of knocked off its perch. You need luck. You need everything to come together. And and it, it just happened for Manchester United. I remember my City fans mates that, that season who were going to all of those games in the third tier and they still supported their team didn't make them any worse as people they, they 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 supported manchester city and they followed them everywhere and we chide them we wind them up and say you're going to to gillingham and we're going to turin and i think sometimes people forget that for the majority of football fans their team doesn't win trophies this is just this is just normal very few teams can win trophies and i don't remember my city mates that season being particularly bitter they just followed their team and I actually respected them as fans who who followed their team and we'd say you know you don't need a passport I'm sure they were slightly jealous when we were going to these more exotic locations and how the tables have absolutely turned with Manchester United the treble was brilliant but as with Liverpool there's a lot of success that that fans can dip into historically United reached three European Cup finals in four years I think that's often overlooked around 08, 09, 10, uh, 11, and then the decline setting after that, combined with the rise of of, of City. I remember in, in the 90s, this phrase, ABU, anyone but United. Ferguson intentionally created a siege mentality. He didn't want people to like them, and the players fed off that. Maybe there was a begrudging respect that a lot of those players actually came through the youth system, that they didn't like them, but... You'd want them in your team, if that makes sense. You didn't like a snarling Roy Keane, but you'd want him in your team because he was such a good player. And just talking about it all depresses me a little bit because so many things were down to one person, Ferguson, and so many things were done right. And this perfect storm was created where United commercially took advantage in a way that Liverpool hadn't done. So when Liverpool was successful in the 80s, the climate was very different. Football crowds were much lower. Attendance is now at an all-time high but Old Trafford expanded um, and they really sort of combined taking advantage of the sky money, the internationalism, bringing players in from, from abroad. So it was a perfect storm in some ways for Manchester United uh, as Liverpool um, floundered. But it was a very, very good team and they had strength in all positions. They had four strikers, two of the reserve strikers. They're not reserve, that, but Solskjaer and Sheringham were not in the idealised starting eleven for most um, Manchester United fans that season. They ended up having the biggest say of all. There's just definitely a sense of, of the collective and of, 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 of sharing the success. 
where players were absolutely driven and devastated if they weren't selected, like Nicky Butt in the, the FA Cup final. But equally, he was devastated that two of his close mates were suspended and couldn't play in the final. I think that genu- that team spirit really was genuine. And as I talk about it, I just think these, this one of the qualities which is lacking at Manchester United now, as well as um, the commercial preeminence, it, it's completely gone. Long gone are the days where United could go to a club like Tottenham and take a Berbatov or a Carrick. The, the financial hegemony which Manchester United had, that has gone and that's definitely another factor, partly because of the way City are funded and Chelsea are funded a, a, as well and partly because good footballing decisions have been made by, by, by clubs like Liverpool. Just just one thing you said there, Andy, that was quite interesting, which does relate to Liverpool and, and City as well. This season, I mean, I know this will probably um, make both of you want to run an absolute mile if Liverpool won the quadruple. Um, I I. There's a reason why nobody's done that before, um, as Jürgen Klopp did say the other day. But I, I think that what gives Liverpool a chance of winning, certainly maybe one or two other trophies this season, is what you just mentioned there about United. You know, the, the, the options that United had in '99 up front, you know, four absolute top strikers, all each of them offering something slightly different. As you said, you know, Sheringham and Solskjaer weren't the main two that season. They won the Champions League for United. So I think Liverpool this season, which is one thing that the one advantage that they have over City, maybe you might see it a bit differently, Jack, but you know, the number of options that they've got in attack this season, arguably, you know, six six players that can play in the front three positions who are all doing quite well at the moment. You know, you could maybe extend that number to seven or eight of you want to include Harvey Elliott and, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. They have played up front this season. I just think at certain points in the season, it's going to be really interesting from here in to see how Klopp manages that. Because I think if Liverpool are to, to go and, and win win more than what they've won already this season, that needs to be managed quite carefully. Not, not just in terms of the time, but the emotional element to it. When Salah came off at the weekend and Klopp gave him 10 minutes rest, he, he wasn't happy. So these are players who are, are used to be playing every minute of every game, Mane included. So I, I do think that that's where Liverpool might have a little bit of an advantage over City. I don't, I don't know what you might see it differently. I know obviously Guardiola's sort of found some solutions to, 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 to the accusations that they don't have... Um, they, they don't have enough forwards or an established centre forward and obviously it's been very convincing but I just think that firepower you know come the end of the season always for me particularly if you're trying to win more than just one trophy it does does have a big impact potentially and obviously that leads us to the I think the City game in, in April at the Etihad I mean it, I, I personally feel that that, that that the games between Liverpool and City have been the difference you know when the two teams have been head to head over the last couple of years um, I, I th- thought City should have won at Anfield. Um, the, Liverpool were lucky that day that Mo Salah turned up because he didn't play very well. Uh, City should have won that day, but they, they still got a point. That game at, at the Etihad in, in April could end. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm sort of bigging it up like Sky, but I, I think it, it could prove to be decisive come the end of the season because the margins are so small. And I went City won the league in, in 2019. People talk about the points where Liverpool lost that title. Well, for me, you know, it was it was a match-winning goal by Sane at the Etihad. Yeah, in a one of the great games. I mean, for me, it was one of the best Premier League games I've ever seen in terms of the quality of both teams. 
And on that day, Sane scores, and, and Mar- I think Mane's shot hits the post and rolls across the line. Very, very tight decisions, and that that ultimately defined the whole season. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case again in April. Yeah, and I wonder if they might meet again in, in Europe. You know, really? that that game in 2018 where Liverpool really destroyed City in that first leg, was that was a great tie in itself. And then even the second, I mean, it's kind of forgotten by history a bit because Liverpool nicked it. But for the first half of the second leg, City was sensational. City yeah. was so good. And yeah. obviously that was four years ago now. And given that City and Liverpool are, you know, they clearly are the two best teams in Europe and have been for a while you'd have to expect that the chances are they will meet again in the Champions League this year. I mean, the, the pros- I mean, they, they could, even in 2019, they could have met... Like, Raheem Sterling's winner against Tottenham hadn't been VAR'd, then City would have, you know, City would have got through to the semis, then I'm sure they would have beaten Ajax over two legs, then we could have had a City-Liverpool Champions League final. So I feel like this era of City versus City and Liverpool rivalry dominance is kind of inevitably heading towards a big Champions League final at some point. Maybe it would have to be this year or next year while Guardiola and Klopp are still there um, to kind of settle it once and for all. What a thrilling prospect it is listening to you two talking (laughs) about this. I I got sent to Madrid in 2019 to cover the game for work and I'm just like shaking my head all day long. And then this man came out of a subway station selling um i think he was selling sunglasses wearing like a snide man united shirt and i thought you've just made my day mate you've got no idea of what's coming to you today i think it, it city liverpool now from a football perspective is is clearly the preeminent rivalry remember uh, speaking to keen about rivalries um 2003-04 and me saying to him city or liverpool is like none of them it's arsenal we're the players. We see things. We see things totally different to you fans, and I found that that quite interesting. Seeing um, City and Liverpool, I'm sure their players would both say now that each other are the main rivals. Whereas most Man United fans will still be arguing who are our biggest rivals: Manchester City or Liverpool. And people are very entrenched in their opinions on that. But that's based on history. It's not based on on now. United's still a huge club, but. The, 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 the real games that matter you, you're talking about um, a potential Champions League final my only hope there is that cup competitions can throw up anomalies and I know that Manchester United players a few weeks ago before that Atletico Madrid game actually felt quite confident in Europe against anyone but the other English teams that's what I was told and then I watched the first half of Madrid and thought You've got no right to even feel like that because you're so you're so so bad at the moment. But I'm, I, as a Man United fan, I see Liverpool and City playing in the the latter stages of the the Champions League, of reaching the finals, of mates of mine going, and and you end up enjoying it when they get knocked out. Some of mates was what was the City song about Bernardo? Bernardo, he's going to Madrid. Yeah, that was 2019. Yeah, one of my mates, Steve Craven, booked his hotel in Madrid fantastic when he had to cancel it or when I got sent to to Lisbon as a journalist to cover Manchester City Leon and I'm not clear I'm being objective I know how to do my job and I spoke to City people and Leon people after the game and Guardiola was excellent actually um but I watched that game with a big smile on my face as as Leon's 20 21 year old 22 year old midfielders 
did a job on Manchester City. This is what I've been reduced to. Of course, you've made history as well. Liverpool will and truly knocked off their perch for the moment. What does that mean to you to finally have done it? Well, it was a big challenge, as you know, in the 80s. It was, it was Liverpool's time. Uh, but when I came down, I, you know, I never thought we could achieve what we achieved, of course. But I always looked at getting that first one, really. That was the, the one. Get the first one, uh, open the doors for us. And we had some great teams after that. But, you know, it's, it's not easy this week. You know, and they'll find it out. The conversation about United knocking Liverpool off the perch, which I'm sure Jamie Callagher's told Andy this as well, but he's adamant that that did not happen. It's just a rewrite of history because by the time United won, the uh, the Premier League tightly were competing with Norwich. I think it was Norwich and Villa. Liverpool had vacated that position and had... To some, to some degree, you know, sort of a bit of self-harm there with, with, with the Graham Souness era. But there's there's no doubt, you know, that United took that position. Uh, I mean, I, I was quite a young person at that time. I think a lot of people see Liverpool fans, sort of the wider global fan base as, as you know, the, the sort of see the glory elements of it. But I, I grew up in a period where where Liverpool were miles away from, from being um, where they are now. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I... I Hated watching Man United on on TV every midweek. It, it felt like every week, mid- midweek in in Europe in big Champions League games. I know it took them a while to get there uh, to the to, to win the Champions League, but even before that, I mean, I, I must have watched far too many Man United games as a kid, just because that was the only football on TV at the time, and it was easy to understand why so many people sort of grew in to, to become Manchester United fans around the country because they were there all the time in the same way that Liverpool had been in the 80s when when um, football matches that first started being televised regularly on TV. So all I can say is, is that, that, that in 99, when, when United did the treble, Liverpool felt it felt like a long, a long, long way away from Liverpool being where they wanted to be. As Andy touched on earlier, let's not forget, two years later, Liverpool won the treble of their own, which isn't the treble, but a treble. Um, we had a big which, flag of that Mickey Mouse treble. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it, it provided it provided some of my best memories. You know, I was watching Liverpool, and, and I'm sure I, I listened to United fans talking about some of the you know like winning the cup, winners' cup, and stuff like that earlier on. Like that, that sort of that meant something at the time because Liverpool had been so far away from from where they wanted to be and. It felt to me that they were a serious European football team and club again, and to get them back onto that into that conversation. So, you know, for United, I don't know whether it sounded earlier that I was saying that it's going to take them a long time. It does feel like it could take them a long time, but a lot needs to go right very quickly to get them back in a position where, where you know, that they're competing and there is, you know, can. It might sound cruel saying this, but a serious football team who, who are going to cause you problems and you know you're going to be in a match. I, I thought yesterday when I watched the game against City, it, it just summed everything up the way it is at United at the moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was it was the 90s were not a fun time. Being a Liverpool fan, I just always felt that that they were there was something missing and that United were a serious football team, a serious football club with. With serious players who who were just better than Liverpool, really. So, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how how that changes at United because I think that the, the challenge for United is slightly different to Liverpool. I think the solution to all of this is for Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp 
to become joint managers of Manchester United, like Roy Evans and Gerard Julio were at Liverpool. <laughs> I think logistically, Pep's living in Manchester already. Jurgen wouldn't have far to travel. I think professionally, it would challenge both of them. They could bounce ideas off each other. I think it would be a big challenge for Manchester City and Liverpool as well. And I'm I'm resorted to grasping at ridiculous ideas yeah. like this. They don't really like each other. Let's be honest. Like, really? th- th- there's a bit of. Th- do you think they like each other, Jack? I, I, I opposites can I, attract. I, I, Give I, him a chance. I, I get, Let love my flourish. perception of the my my perception from the outside of of that re- relationship and rivalry is that while City, I think amongst the fan bases, there's quite a lot of tension, and amongst and at board level there is. But I feel like the players get on well. There's yeah. never much needle on the pitch, and I always feel like Pep and Klopp. I always get the impression that Pep and Klopp like each other. I I sort of see it a little bit differently. I think there's a massive respect between them, but I don't see a warmth when they talk about each other, okay. which suggests to me that there isn't that, that warmth in the relationship, maybe. But, you know, I would argue it'd be interesting to know who is close with with Pep and Klopp. I know, like, people... Mm-hmm. I, I don't get the impression Klopp's friends with lots of managers is on the phone to other managers and have those sorts of relationships lots of those sorts of relationships and I, I think the same with with Guardiola so maybe maybe that explains it to some extent but um you know I, I think at the beginning when when Klopp became the Liverpool manager he made quite a few comments about city spending power and everything else and that, that sort of predated Guardiola's arrival didn't it only by a short period of time until Liverpool suddenly started spending a bit more money <laughs> and, and those comments have, have, have not been made as, as sort of convincingly since so it would have been interesting to see Guardiola's reaction had he mentioned those sorts of things then. Uh, I think that's probably contributed towards an avoidance of confrontation. Um, but I, I agree with you, Jack. I, I do think a lot of the players, obviously, there's a lot of Brazilian players, you know, they obviously cross each other's paths. A lot of Liverpool players live in Cheshire. A lot of City players, I think, live in the same sort of areas. So I don't see that animosity. I see a competitive rivalry, which, which Andy touched on before. That there's not that hatred that United had with Arsenal, for example, where you, we've seen sort of documentaries since where you've got Roy Keane and Vieira talking about each other, and you can tell they, they still don't really, you still don't really like each other, do they? All these years later, I can't ever see that happening between Liverpool and City. Yeah, really interesting listen there. I do feel for Andy because I feel like he spent the whole conversation kind of drowning his sorrows a little bit uh, as two obviously very excited uh, fans sort of chatted in anticipation. Um, It's building up to be quite the sort of finale in April with that game at the Etihad between City and Liverpool, Dan. Do you think it could be over before it gets to that point because a month ago we weren't even really putting Liverpool in the conversation people had already kind of handed over the keys to City and now actually it feels like it might go right down to the wire I hope he's still close when it comes to them games because at the moment you know you look at it and we're going to have a title race there's a bit of a battle for the top four and relegation as well you know you don't know who's going to go down so at the moment the season's set to be really exciting going into the tail end so I do hope that, that it's all close I felt sorry for Andy as well. I think he'll be hoping that neither of them managed to do the treble or even the quadruple because that's going to make his life awful. Yeah, I think it's interesting what he said about how at one point United had four really good striker options. Now, no team really Mm. in the league 
has that sort of squad. Maybe the depths of, of Liverpool and City come a tiny bit close, but I almost feel like we may never see what United did in that season again, really, because football has just transformed so much. I don't know what you think. I don't know. I, I, I kind of can see both sides because with the Champions League, I would say what Manche- Manchester United to win the Champions League in that season, 98-99, was really, really difficult. It, it was more difficult for them to win the Champions League then than it would be for City or yeah. Liverpool to win the Champions League now because I just think at the time the teams from other countries were better. I think now the Premier League is so, so strong and it's so far superior to, to, to the other leagues at the moment. I think COVID's played a part where the other teams, just they don't have the financial clout anymore that a Liverpool or a Manchester City have, have got nowadays. So I, I just think back then, that was such a, a massive achievement to, to win that treble. And I remember watching the games with, with, with my dad. I think I probably watched every Manchester United knockout game with my dad in the Champions League and we were almost supporting them at the time we really wanted them to win the Champions League to see an English team win the Champions League a lot of English players playing for them and we almost sat there as obviously we're Villa fans but we, we sat there almost celebrating when Manchester United scored because we wanted them to win it I'm not sure I'd sit there now and watch another Premier League team and be celebrating goals going and, and want them to win it if you understand what I mean yeah definitely and I think also I mean nostalgia is a pretty powerful thing but I also think you just look back on that iconic United side and and there were so many lovable characters in there. Mm. Um, and maybe I just don't have that same kind of affinity with some of the, the City and Liverpool squad. I, I, there are some individual talents. I, I love Raheem Sterling. Uh, I really like Mo Salah. You know, there are individual players that I do, I do like and appreciate, but I don't think there's that same kind of iconic 90s nostalgia to it of what United achieved, even though I hated... Fergie's United so much there is still something quite legendary about that team yeah I mean no one lost Alex Ferguson's Manchester United more than my team Villa I think we still, <laughs> still haven't been at Villa Park since since 1995 so you know they used to beat us every every time we played them but you still always had a, a massive respect for them and it is sad in a way looking at how to go back to the, the start of the podcast it is sad now to, to look how bad they are people look people are laughing say, and, and say it's not sad but they're so so bad and they're light years off Manchester City and Liverpool you know I've got I've got a little bit of a soft spot for, for Liverpool I'd, I quite like to see them win trophies because I really like Jurgen Klopp and I, I like what he's about but I don't think he'll ever be the same as sitting there watching that team watching Beckham Giggs Skulls you, you, just, you wanted those players to, to do well even at that time you know Dwight York was playing for a left villa and that was the first time I'd ever been really really upset about a transfer as a kid and had my heart broken but you know I was watching him and not understanding why he went to Manchester United at, at, at that point but yeah yeah and it's also I mean there's something to be said about about legacy the, the legacy of that United team but also what Jack and and uh, Simon touched on about the legacy of Klopp and Guardiola because we still don't know what's going to be happening to them going forward I think uh, Pep's contract's over end of next season isn't it obviously Klopp there's perhaps some more of a succession plan in place with Pep Linders, his assistant taking more of a role this season because of circumstances with, with COVID and things like that. But maybe that's the natural succession, but it is interesting to, to think about, is this going to be one of the few chances for Liverpool to achieve a ridiculous feat, like a quadruple or a treble? Um, and is it also an opportunity for City to kind of cement the legacy of Guardiola and finally get their hands on Champions League trophy as well. Yeah, City 
they need that Champions League trophy. Pep needs that Champions League trophy to, to be able... I mean, he's been unbelievable at Manchester City anyway. You know, whatever happens, he'll walk away from Manchester City and he'll truly be an icon there for, for the rest, rest of his life and beyond. But unless they win the Champions League, he won't be satisfied. He'll, he, he will want to walk away having won absolutely everything for Manchester City and until they win that Champions League, I, I don't think he'll be happy. But it'll just be interesting if they end up playing each other in the Champions League. I think yeah. that's the most in, interesting thing because they're toe-to-toe in the, in, in the league. But if they actually have to play each other in the, in the Champions League, that's going to be absolutely fascinating to see who comes out at the top of that one. Oh, qu- quick prediction then. Um, do you see City... Liverpool winning the Champions League this season and who do you think is going to win the title? I've had Liverpool down for the Champions League since the start of the season so I'm going to going to stick with that. They, they're just special in the Champions League aren't they? They've got they've got something about them in the Champions League, a great affinity. They always seem to come alive in it and you always fancy that they've got a chance of winning any game at Anfield even. You know, they're 3-0 down like they were against Barcelona a few years ago. I think if you asked, Liverpool fans would rather win the Premier League and City fans would rather win the Champions League. But I think it might end up being the other way around. That's what I think. What do you think? I think that's a good call, to be honest. I think I would probably go the same. I think although the Liverpool chase has added some much-needed spice to the title race that was kind of lacking, I still do think City are going to see this one out. Um, And I agree with you. I think Liverpool have a really good chance of winning the Champions League. Um, And like Jack touches on in, in the audio we just heard, there's just something, there's something of a mental block for City in the Champions League. And even they've got quite a good draw playing Sporting Lisbon of all the teams that you could have drawn in, in this round, probably one of the best ones. I just, going forward, I just don't think, I just don't think they have what it takes. Still just about time to highlight some of the other great writing that's up on the site right now. Flo, what have you been enjoying? Uh, so Adam Crafton's written a brilliant piece. Um, he is the king of of these sorts of. I, I think it's, it is a bit of an investigative piece, but um, he is so good at doing these sorts of stories. But he's interviewed some footballers, some football coaches uh, who either are from Ukraine or have been trying to escape Ukraine recently, uh, or are still in Ukraine. Um, and his piece, trying to escape the horror footballers' stories from Ukraine is a really good long read about that um, and just kind of detailing the the absolute harrowing experiences that these people have had to go through uh, or, you know, they're, they're trying to keep in touch with their family. Um, just a really, really, really good piece from Adam there. Um, and kind of just, I think, hits home the, the reality of the situation that I'm sure lots of people have seen on the news, um, hmm. but obviously not something that you expect to see on The Athletic every day, but I think it just kind of shows the the, the real sort of realities and horror of the situation. Yeah, horrible world that we live in at, at the moment. I mean, compl- completely different note what I've been reading. Chris Woff's piece on Newcastle and the team spirit that Eddie Howe's harvesting and also looking at the team photos that they take and put on social media after every win now that sometimes you can think is a bit small time and I'm probably guilty of that. But actually, when you read Chris's piece, it goes into explaining why they're doing it. It's actually really, really interesting. So if you haven't read that piece from Chris yet on the revival of Newcastle, then make sure you're checking that out. And a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. It's just £1 a month for the first six months. So head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod to get started. 
Thanks as always, Flo, and thanks to our fantastic trio of Andy Mitten, Simon Hughes and Jack Pitbrook. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening too. Do get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts and why not leave us a review if you've got the time as well. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater are back tomorrow to discuss the business of sport. We hope you'll join us again. The Athletic.